we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world to the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we will count down our best books of 2018. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Good, Ed. How are you? I'm great. I, you know, have, did my first travel of 2019 oh, this congrats. week. Yeah, I know it was a really good deal. I was, it was, a, it was a, it was a, a flight into Chicago and then back home less than 24 hours later. And you will definitely appreciate this. The, on the on the flight out, got the upgrade in the 787. Ugh. Which one do you know? Because there's three uh, versions. I, I don't know, but I was, but it, because it was the up the upgrade to the 787. The first class seat in on and it clearly was an international airplane that was flying between Dallas and uh, uh, and and Chicago. Right. Um, it was like a full flat bed. Yep. Oh, dude, <laughs> like yeah. I could get used to that pretty quickly. So then the the said the deal was I it was a seven eight seven going back. It was just happenstance that it was a seven eight seven going back. And I, I had gotten the upgrade, and because I'm exec plat this year, they, it, I get it like three days ahead. So they, they, they gave it to me, and then about an hour before the flight, I get a phone call that says, we're sorry, we've downgraded the aircraft. So ah. I, I lost the first class seat. But Bummer. are you ready for this, dude? I thought this is without like any complaining. $300 voucher. Oh, wow. So I'm like, dang. <laughs> Well, they're going to take care of their exec plats, that's for sure. That seems to be the case. So anyway, I'm really excited about that. Enough about that. Let's talk about that. I'm really excited about the show, and let's jump in. We A couple of years ago, we did a year-end review show, and as we were planning for that show, one of the things, hey, you know, let's we'll do one segment, Ed. We'll, we'll do one. <laughs> yeah. We'll do, one, we'll do one segment <laughs> on our books, on our favorite books of the year. One 15-minute one segment. Well, I think. I think we started the show with that segment. As I recall, I think we spent the whole show on, one on book. books. <laughs> no, but I was one on one book, but it was all, all on books. And halfway through the show, we're like, okay, this is just going to be best books. <laughs> <laughs> and back then, Ed, I think it was best business books. Right. We, it was we, we best kind business of lim- books, yeah. Yeah. And we didn't do that this time. We decided to broaden it and say the best books we read. Right. So... Right. That's a little Which, bit broader population, and, and so, you know, and uh, the rationale from my perspective—I don't know about yours, but on mine is—is is that I, I I probably had way too many business books in my repertoire and not enough nonfiction. I mean, not enough um, fiction. Mm-hmm. And and I'm what I'm starting to learn is that hey, f- fiction's an essential component. I I think I was just you know just I was starving myself on. On only eating protein, <laughs> right? <laughs> the and real wisdom no... is in fiction. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 
knowledge is in nonfiction, but wisdom is in the fiction. Yep. And and, and the other thing is, I just reading less business books. Mm-hmm. I just find them boring, more boring, and more boring as as I age. I don't know what it is, but I just you know, is now the test is I look at a business book and go, is this going to matter in ten years? Heck, yeah. is, is it going to matter in five? Is it going to matter in two? <laughs> and most don't meet that test. Seriously, no, they don't. I know, I know. I know. It's, and I, I don't think it's just you being a curmudgeon, Rondo, although I'd love to just accuse you of that. I know. I get off my lawn. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are older than me by a little bit, so I get to I get to be the youngster. That's true. You you can start accusing me of that before I can accuse you of it. That's <laughs> sure. But look, Ed, I, I just love to start with this quote um, from Franz Kafka because I just love this. I think we ought to read only the kind of books that wound and stab us. If the book we are reading doesn't wake us up with a blow on the head, what are we reading it for? And that is now my criteria. I love it. Love it. Great quote. All right. Who's going to go first here? We haven't really talked about this. So since I opened, how about you go first? You open. Oh, okay. I was going to say you open. You go first. Um, Well, I have to say that the – and this is reverse order. So we're doing the whole David Letterman thing. You want to do a drum roll? I, you know (laughs) – Okay. Best I could do. I thoroughly enjoyed this book, Ed, The Tyranny of Metrics by Jerry Muller. Now, he's a university professor, and he wrote a whole book, and it, it so reminds me of what I was trying to do with in Measure What Matters to Customers. Mm-hmm. That whole, you know, what we <laughs> what we can <clears throat> manage, we what, what we what can measure, it? we can manage. Manage, thank you. I can't even say it anymore because I've drummed it out <laughs> of my head. Um but this guy has put together a really good book, The Tyranny of Metrics, and he, he, he examined colleges and universities, schools, medicine, policing, the military, business and finance, and philanthropy and foreign aid. And he, he just talks about this, um, he calls it um, a metric fixation. Basically, we have this metric fixation, and he said, "While and I love this line, while we are bound to live in an age of measurement, we live in an age of mismeasurement, overmeasurement, misleading measurement, and counterproductive measurement. The problem is not measurement, but excessive measurement, and an inappropriate measurement, not metrics, but metric fixation. And I yep. love that. And yep. Gives lots of examples about juking the uh, ju- they call it juking the stats in the in the police mm. force, um, and that's manipulating you know the the metrics and 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 this this is what perverts institutions as effort is diverted away from its true purpose to meeting the metric targets. And he talks about surgeons avoiding tough cases, right, to to mm-hmm. make their mortality rates better. A process called creaming and you know he gives an example of medicare that started penalizing hospitals if um patients uh fail to survive for 30 days beyond surgery so the hospitals were just keeping them artificially alive for 31 days i mean just perverse you know unintended, uh, unintended consequences like that and i just uh it was just a great book he talks about robert McNamara and how he ran the you know, the Defense Department, the war in Vietnam with civilian mathematical analysis rather than military expertise. And it was just a really, really well done book. He even challenges um, 
the idea that sunlight is the best disinfectant. He's talking about WikiLeakism. And he Mm -hmm. says, more often than not, what happens is paralysis. He says, actually, transparency can become the enemy of performance. And he's specifically talking about the context of government. And it's very, very interesting. It's kind of a counterintuitive argument that you start thinking about it. You go, that makes a lot of sense. So just a wonderful book, uh, full of, chock full of examples of how measurement mania can take us down the wrong road. Good. And again, making that distinction we, that we've talked about on a number of shows, and it's becoming clearer and clearer in my mind, uh, the difference between a measurement versus a metric. And it's the tyranny of metrics, not the tyranny of measurement, right? Even though he kind of uses the words back and forth the same, but it uh-huh. yeah, is definitely metrics. Yeah. They, they have to be calculated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, metrics, again, for those of you listening to the show, but for the first time, we, we look at a metric as something that's calculated, whereas a measurement is something that has a has an, a, a fixed standard like temperature or inches, you know, distance, that kind of stuff. All right. So, all right. Well, let me give you my number five book, Ron. Um, and this, this uh, I don't know if you ever did go back and read this because I, I know we kind of re- cross-recommend books to each other, but this is called The Vampire Economy. Doing Business Under Fascism, and this is by a German economist named Gunter Reimann, R-E-I-M-A-N-N. And what's so significant about this book is that it was published in 1939, and this guy Reimann was a Marxist, a a, a flat-out Marxist professor. So you would say, okay, well, he's got an axe to grind, right? But this book did more from to open my eyes toward this notion that fascism, the 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 so-called right, Nazism, national socialism, um, is the right of the left, <laughs> right? right? Uh, which is a thinking that really started for me with Jonah Goldberg's book a number of years ago called Liberal Fascism. Right. But what what is so what was so great about this book is that unlike uh, Jonah's book, which was published years later, and people are like, oh, revisionist history, right? This is a book that was published in 1939. <laughs> right, as history right? was being made, yeah. As history was so, like, okay, so who's <laughs> who's, re- who's redoing the history? And I'm just going to share a couple of quotes, and these come in quick succession in the book, and it's toward toward the beginning. But um, So l- l- just listen to see some of these quotes f- right out. The difference between this, meaning the system that they have in, in place, and this is businessmen saying this is actually all of these quotes – are quotes not from Ryman, but from businessmen who he interviewed. Mm. Okay? So the difference between this system and the Russian system is much less than you think, despite the fact that officially we are still independent businessmen. Right? Mm -hmm. Next, you have no idea how far the state control goes and how much power the Nazi representatives have over our work. The worst of it is that they are so ignorant. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Next, the Nazi radicals think nothing. Uh, think of nothing except distributing the wealth. Mm. Next, some businessmen have even started studying Marxist theory, theories so that they will have a better understanding of the present economic system. Wow! Yeah. I mean, it is, it, 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 and it's, and the entire book is like this. You cannot walk away from this book and think 
Oh yeah, you know that that because I think what a lot of people interpret national socialism is Nazism is the the the, the Nazi Reich was was un, unfettered free market capitalism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hitler is Adam Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's 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 you laugh, but when you start to talk to people about it, they're like, oh yeah, well that's just far right economics. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, free market. What the hell are you talking about? Talking about. No <laughs> chance. No, I know. I know. I've heard those arguments and they just crack up. It's just unbelievable. But that that thinking's pervasive, Ron. It's pervasive. No, no, you're right. You're right. I do remember yeah. telling you telling me about that book and I have not read it. It's on it's in my anti library. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the shelf that we like to use just as an excuse for books we haven't read yet, but uh, they <laughs> They do sit there and taunt you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So great stuff. All right. Well, we're up against first break one. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me. The with you sending an email to ask TSOE at Verisage.com, the website, the soul of enterprise.com, show notes, as well as previews to upcoming shows, always there and available for you 24-7. You can listen to all the shows. We have an archive page, but right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. Ed and I are talking about the best books we read last year. And Ed, number four on my list as we continue our countdown in reverse mm-hmm. order is Strategic Cost Transformation by ah. our Sage Senior Fellow, Dr. Reginald Lee. Uh, this is just a great book. I mean, he wrote Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, which still, I believe, is one of the best titles of a book ever. But <laughs> in this book, he actually he unfurls a little bit more and explains more about, okay, 
we've torn down cost accounting. What do we do instead? And I know he's got another book in the works that's even going to take it further as he moves into operations and capacity and things like that. But I was really honored because he asked me to write the foreword to this book. And, you know, the things that just really just jump out at you uh, from Dr. Lee's work is his distinction between a non-cash and a cash cost which I think is yes. just ap- absolutely brilliant because, you know, non-cash costs can be manipulated because they have to be calculated. And of course that depends on the assumptions you make and, and the met, you know, the type of uh, calculations you make as well and the type of methods that you use. But then he, he says in this book, uh, strategic cost transformation, that the goal is to generate cash profit, not accounting profit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just like when he says, you know, companies spend so much money manipulating costs and measuring costs that have nothing to do with cash. Uh, and then, you know, he says, uh, the other thing I, this, the other distinction I love that he really, really gets into in this book is, uh, he, he has two distinctions or, or two domains, the operation and cash domain, and then there's the accounting domain, but all the all the information that you need is in the OC domain, not operations and cash domain. In fact, all the information that goes into the accounting domain comes from that first domain. So the first domain is really the true measurement. The second domain is the metric. And he calls the operations and cash domain, he says it provides everything the accounting domain does without the drama. <laughs> right. and, and I just love that. Um, and, he, you know, he talks about how metrics don't help you improve the future performance and and just uh, or or answer questions like, did are we using our capacity effectively or our people effectively? And it's just a fantastic book. And for the accountants in our amongst our listeners, I would just say, look, it's a bit challenging, but you read it and you go, you know, it's true deep down in your heart. It's <laughs> just like Barry Goldwater, right? In your heart, you know, he's right. Deep, yeah, yeah. Deep, deep down in your heart, you know that Dr. Lee's uh, words are unassailable. Logically, they just make so much sense. And he, he, he really presents it very clearly and in a very conversational style. Just It was a brilliant work. It came out, I think, earlier this month or late last year. And again, it's it's a very, very worthwhile read. Well, it sounds like it might be something that's on my list in 2019. So we might be able to talk about it again next year. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and I, and I mentioned to you earlier today when we talked that I, I listened to the podcast that he did for Kirk Bowman, our, our fellow fellow at Verisage. And then you did one right after that talking about the same subject, but it was really more your impressions. And I would certainly encourage people to give both of those podcasts a, a nice, nice listen. Um, I think they're about not, not they're um, about 40 minutes long. So the, I think Kirk does a nice job tight, keeping it pretty tight around those subjects. But, you know, the, the, the thing for me is, is I love the way that he is really, you know, poking the bear and, 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 saying things like accounting profits don't matter boy that right. gets people crazy right right no i love it i love it 
And and I'm glad I'm glad he does because that's the kind of thing that you need to shake people loose of of some of their preconceived notions about things. That's how you start a movement, Ed. I I just right. don't believe this this idea that you start a movement by being you know can congeal and and all this stuff no you start a movement by rattling people's cages then you can move on after you got some adopters and you know tone it down but you start out man you should fire out of the gate <laughs> there's there's no there's no replacement for a good offense so let me ask you this question about this because i was I was thinking as you were talking if this is a, a way to think about this is it possibly true ron that accountants are the ones who calculate this accounting profit, but it's our friends, the bookkeepers, that, and I'm talking about the high-level bookkeepers, not the not not just the ones who just you know enter enter transactions into a system, which is unfortunately what far too many people think a bookkeeper is, right? Right. Glorified data entry clerk, which in a lot of cases they are absolutely not. So, do, are they one of the ones who then explain to? business owners, hey, yeah, I know your account your accountant tells you you made a profit, but I'm telling you why you have no money in the bank. Yes, I I do believe bookkeepers have their finger on the pulse of cash flow and cash flow budgeting and management, projection, modeling, whatever you want to call it. I think that they have their finger on it much better than accountants. Accounts for the most part aren't doing that on a regular basis for their clients. I mean, I think they should be. But they don't. But the bookkeepers at the coalface probably paying the bills, running payroll, maybe, you know, or at mm-hmm. least kind of overseeing it. And they have to keep an eye on it. And right. so they're probably more likely to uh, know that information. And like you said, and that's a great point that, yes, I do believe it's the bookkeeper who ends up explaining to the to, to the confused and bemused business owner. How can I have how can I have made a profit last year when I have no money in the bank? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Cuz that's yeah. pretty common. How can I owe much uh, how can I owe so much tax in taxes when I don't have any money? Right. I got that yep. question all the time when I practice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. And I I do think it's it's another one of those reasons that I think that bookkeepers are more poised to add value to um you know, business owners going forward, because I think they better have a better handle on the operations because they're closer to it and the cash. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I, I should say coincidentally is probably the best way to put, put it. My number four book also has the word cost in it, which is yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, and that is the book from one of our guests this year, Michael Munger, Tomorrow 3.0, Transaction Costs in the Sharing Economy. Right. And, um, you know, you can certainly, we'll post a link to that show and where, where Professor Munger, who is a hoot, if you didn't yes. listen to that show, you, you're in for a real treat because the, the guy is, you so want to th- just throw down a beer with the, the guy, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, because he's he just fascinating. And, and he, he ended up, he did run for governor uh, re, in, uh, when we, I think we talked about this on the show uh, in, in North Carolina a number of years ago, but be that as it may. So the, just a, one of the things that that stood out for me about this this book is this notion that his his professor, I guess the the guy who led his doctoral thesis, uh, uh, is it North? Al, is it yeah. Alfred North? I, no, not I, Alfred North. Some some Douglas, other it's Douglas, Douglas Norris. Douglas I think he's North, the Alfred one that North. just won the Nobel. Yeah, um, he he asked. I guess he asked Munger a question during his thesis, 
and Munger like humana humana on it. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Michael, the answer is transaction costs. Right. Right. He's and, got all these equations and graphs. <laughs> like the answer is transaction costs. <laughs> and the 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 key learning for me on, on on this, I mean, well, there's so many different things that I learned from this book, but it explained from an economic perspective the sharing economy, the middleman economy, whatever you want to call that, right? how we're able to do that. But one of the things that jumped out at me is the the the, the cost side of what you and I refer to as von Mises's restaurant. Right? Right, right. Ludwig von Mises had this this notion that that you know for, that you that you can't parse value. Right? You can't parse parse the value of a of a of a experience that you have in a restaurant. Whether between the the chef, the person who sweeps the floor, the 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 server, that you know, they're they're it's a it's an integrated experience. This is what you're paying for, you know. And if even if you're in a, a top end restaurant and a roach runs across your table, you're going to have a bad experience. Right. Right. And Munger says in this book, he says this is a quote. Now he says uh, the the reason is that to consumers, all costs are transaction costs. Reducing the cost of physical production by 10% is no different from reducing the cost of delivery and inconvenience of use by 10% from the point of view of the customer. Sure. And I think what this opened my eyes to is that it, it's a clarification for me of, of, of from the business owner side that that reduction in transaction cost, you can't parse your costs any more than the the consumer can parse their understanding of value right no it's, <laughs> it's exactly right i mean uh, uh goldrat said it another way he said fact of the matter is customers products and services don't have costs organizations do mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's i mean you know you've got to have the janitor you got to have the the, the server, the, the chef, you know, the bathroom attendant, it's all just cost of the capacity. And that's kind of what Dr. Lee says, too. And you've got to have those costs irrespective of how you utilize them. So to, to divide them up, to parse them out, I mean, value is indivisible. You can't do it. Well, same thing with costs. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anyway, but the, the Munger just really does a great job, I think, at at explaining what, what's happening in in this this uh, the, this notion of transaction costs, and it's all about the reduction thereof. And um, you know, I, and and this is now influenced, I think, both you and I in our thinking on subscription. Yeah, that's the other thing, Ed. Uh, right, because of that. It, it you know it it just it's so a great argument for subscription because subscription lowers transactions cost to the customers. Yep, big time. Yep, and I think that that's such such, such a big key. I love his other great quote in here. And, and when you think about this, ownership it turns out is for suckers. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and. You know the example that I you you and I have been using. I think we it was a was on our show, um, or it might have been on on our bonus episode that we do on on Patreon. Is the the you can subscribe to Porsche now? Yeah, I mean, think about the cost of ownership. Well, if I subscribe to a Porsche, I don't have to worry about the maintenance. I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about trade in value. 
you know, getting rid of it, being over mileage, if I leased it, whatever, just it's a subscription. I'm paying for access and also peace of mind, but it lowers those transaction costs, which makes the exact same transaction more valuable. Well, and then I thought about this. And by the way, go, does an end around around the dealer network? Well, well, we talked about that. Remember, that was my question. Is it a surreptitious yeah. way for the manufacturers to get around the dealer network? Because there's laws in almost every state that they can't sell direct to consumer. So mm-hmm. maybe, and, and I don't know if, if they are doing the subscription thing through the dealer. It's one of the things I want to investigate. If, mm-hmm. if Porsche is only doing this in Atlanta, it, do you have to go to an Atlanta Porsche dealer? Or does somebody from Porsche come out? and bring your car <laughs> well and the or, point is is even even if it's the dealer network now there's nothing to stop it from going the other way that's exactly right so wow well ed i can't believe it we're up against it again so <laughs> folks we'd like to remind you if you want to send an email to either me or ed you can do so at, at to ask tsoe at verisage.com we will post full show notes at the soul of and now we want to hear from our sponsor sage future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today clouds come in all shapes and sizes and the abacus private cloud is the perfect fit abacus cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want when you want and from any device you want don't waste countless hours managing it take back your time learn more at abacusnext.com Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the best books that Ed and I read in 2018. And Ed, for my number three, it's got to be Factfulness by Hans mm. Rosling. Okay. And he wrote this with his son, Ola, and his daughter-in-law, yep. Anna. And unfortunately, Hans passed away in February in February of 2017. 
mm-hmm. but he worked on this book and and I know you read it too, right? Yes, uh-huh. I don't I yep. don't know if it's in your list, but but I know you read it and uh, the thing that struck me about it is he kind of starts off the book with 10 questions, a test. And yep. he's given this test around the world to, you know, probably hundreds, if not thousands of people um, and audiences and all different types of professions. I mean, we're talking like Nobel laureates and mm-hmm. <laughs> medical researchers and NGO people and, you know, all of that. And just I'm not going to go through all 10 questions. I'll just give you a, a few of the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, where does the majority of the world population live? You know, low-income countries, middle-income countries, high-income countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all low-income countries across the world today, how many girls finish primary schools? At 20%, 40%, or 60%? In the last 20 years, what proportion of the world population living in extreme poverty has almost doubled, same, almost halved? And what he found, Ed, was <laughs> that only, on average, 7% of the people, that's, that's less than 1 in 10, all around the world, all types of professions, get it right. Yes. In other words, <laughs> that's worse than random. It's worse than a chimp throwing bananas at, a, at the test and, and, you know, whatever it lands on is the answer. He, he said... And you and and here's the other thing that it's such a great point. He said, but the problem is the human errors, you know, at least with a chimp, a chimp's going to make errors, but they would be equally shared between two wrong answers in terms of the trend. Mm-hmm. But the human errors all tend to be in one direction that the world is worse than it really is. Yeah, and we that's absolutely fascinating. see this. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just let me give one answer. Where where does the majority of the world population live? Low-income countries, 9%. Mm-hmm. Middle-income countries, 75%. In fact, one of the things that, that Rosling changed my mind on and my vocabulary, and I still catch myself saying this, saying this, the distinction between the developed and the developing world is gone. Yep. You can't say the undeveloped world, the third world, the fourth world. Those are those are meaningless today. And th- he really changed my mind on that. I thought that was that was really good. But um, just a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's it is fantastic, especially for that reason. I posted that test to, to on Facebook and asked people to take it. And boy, not a lot of people are willing to to admit what they score. Right. Right. I know because it's just so it, it's so, you know, counterintuitive. And, and the other thing that I kind of like what he did, he talked about, OK, why? Why do we hold these views and, mm-hmm. and, and, and air all in the same direction that the world is worse than it is? He, he mm-hmm. you know, calls it an overdramatic uh, worldview. Um, he said, look, we can blame the media. We can blame schools. Right. You can blame all sorts of different institutions, possibly, and all that. And maybe they share part of the blame. Maybe they don't. He doesn't think they really do. He said, but this is how our brains work. And I thought this was a really profound point. They happen in our brains. 
So yep. if you went out and looked at the world, you might have a different view. You know, it, it's I, I know I've talked about this before, but the CIA, one of the biggest massive statistical undertakings ever was when the CIA was trying to measure the East German economy versus the West German economy. And they came to the conclusion that the East German economy was about nine tenths the size of the West German economy. And a taxi cab was asked about this. He said, look, any cab driver going through checkpoint Charlie on the both, on both sides would be able to tell you that the East German side was not nine-tenths of the... <laughs> right. <laughs> but but the illusion of the world's going to hell in a handbasket and people are getting poorer and, you know, blah, 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 that is an illusion that takes place in our brains. It's nothing that we're seeing, right? It's, it's in our minds based on what mm-hmm. we read or whatever, but is this, yeah, so the, the, the one criticism, and it's a quibble, but it's a kind of a criticism that I have of the Rosling book, Factfulness. He explains all these things about the world getting better, but doesn't tell you why. Mm-hmm. And I think that's per, uh, per, done purposefully I, he, on his part. <laughs> it could be because he doesn't want to get into it or for whatever reason, but there's no doubt that it's because of free markets right i agree i agree yeah no it it was a great great book i i I appreciate him him writing it and i think his kids have done a great job uh publicizing it and getting it out there and and doing some great things so kudos to them for that because he he was a great man he really was great presenter he's the one with the bubbles and gap minder and all of that stuff um, one, another thing that that his book spurred me on is uh, if, you're, if you're aware of this, I think it's by twenty. It might be twenty thirty or twenty fifty. It might be twenty thirty. The the second most populous country in the world will be Nigeria. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. So they will they will surpass India, which kind of oh. blows me away. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Still- I think I have that wrong. They will, they will, they will be third. They will pass us. They won't pass India. They will will pass India. They will be third. Well, you know, they still have a pretty high fertility rate. I mean, compared to, to us. Yes. And China and India is probably falling as they, as they become richer, you know, because that just tends to happen. So yeah, that's interesting. And that's, and that's, I, you know, it it was reminded of that because part, part of that whole, ethos that myth is is we talked about it last time there there won't be snow in africa this christmas ron oh yeah (laughs) and they won't know it's christmas yeah no (laughs) they won't have calendars so speaking of christmas time (laughs) as a segue for you my number three book is a work of of fiction called lamb Mm. the gospel according to biff Okay. Christ's childhood pal. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, all right. So here's warning. All right. This book is off the charts sacrilegious. I off hope, the uh, charts. I hope Father Sirico doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> well, but see, so, and this, so let me read. Uh, uh, thanks for saying that because it's a good segue. I, I want to th- read a a quote, not from the book proper, but from his his uh, the author's afterword. Is Christopher Moore is the author, okay. and this is what he says at the end. He says, "This story is not and never was meant to challenge anyone's faith." Right? He said, "However, if one's faith can be shaken by stories in a humorous novel, 
one may have a bit more praying to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your faith not, might not be very deep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> just, 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 just throwing out there. But so let me give you, I give, I give you kind of a feel for this and it, it's just, it's expertly written. So the premise of this book is that there's this, is Biff, childhood's friend, and he gets resurrected by a, by the angel, Michael, the archangel, Michael comes mm-hmm. and resurrects him because they, 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 they want to, they want to get the story of Biff down for whatever reason. Okay. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's, and so it's set actually in the modern day. They, they, Michael has him holed up in a hotel room, right? And the, the the one of the things that Biff is doing while while he's writing out what his side of the story was is he's he gets a cold of the Gideon Bible and is reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So there's it's like criticisms like okay that is it's just like no like okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but that, but what, what he tells the story, the, the, but then the, the, but Biff then tells the story of what happened in the, the lost years. So between the age of 12 and 30. So Jesus, the, the last story of Jesus is when he's, I think 12 or 13 years old. And he, uh, is, is, uh, he, he's leaves his parents or his parents walk ahead of him because they think they've got him with him. And he's actually behind in the temple hanging with the rabbi, rabbis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, then all of the gospels jump from that until Jesus's ministry, which, which supposedly takes place when he's about 30 years old. So this 18 year gap that's unaccounted for in the Bible. Right. And, it, and so Biff is now telling the story of what happened, which was that he and Jesus go on this 18 year journey where they go back and meet up with, um, the three Kings who came to visit Jesus at, at the, at, at the, uh, the, uh, epiphany, right. Mm-hmm. So he's go he's going out and he visits with them and they are all these you know wise men in different ways and he learns from all le- learns all of this stuff from the three of them before he starts his ministry anyway but here's just to give you a little bit of a feel for a book book this is early on in page ten <laughs> this is now the, the the voice of Biff my ability to learn Hebrew and the Torah was spurred on by my friendship with Yeshua. Uh, f- uh, for while boys would be playing a round of tease the sheep or kick the Canaanite, <laughs> Yeshua <laughs> and I played at being rabbis, and he insisted that we stick to the authentic Hebrew for our ceremonies. It was more fun than it sounds, or at least it was until my mother caught us trying to circumcise my little brother Shem with a sharp rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of laugh out loud funny, right? <laughs> and so, and then just the the end. Let me get you. We'll, I'll take you now to page three three sixty six, and a lot which happens in in between, right? He says, you know, he goes, let me let me summarize uh, Yeshua's uh, story for you. <laughs> you should you'd be, you should be nice to people, even if they're creeps, and you should a believe that Joshua was Yeshua was the son of God, and b he had come to save you from sin, and c Acknowledge the Holy Spirit within you, became as the child, as, as he would say, and D, didn't blaspheme the Holy Ghost, CC. Then you would E, live forever, F, someplace nice, G, probably heaven. <laughs> However, if you H, sinned, and or I, were a hypocrite, and or J, valued things over people, and or K, didn't do A, B, C, and D, then you were L, I'll, uh, I'll say screwed. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. There you, there you go. There you go. That's my quick summary of Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff. And then there's a, a great quote from Anonymous that kicks, kicks off the epigram, which is, I love this, nobody's perfect. Well, there was this one guy, but we killed him. <laughs> much. <laughs> but great. It was a great, it was really a good book. Really a good book. Awesome. Well, Ed, we're up against it again. And folks, uh, send an email to Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the best books that we read in 2018. And Ed, I hate to do this, but I'm going to shame you. My number okay. two book is In the First Circle by Alexander no. Solzhenitsyn. And I know you haven't finished it yet, but just what an amazing book. Uh, it's just one of those books that just kind of sucks you in. And I think Russ Roberts said at one point it was his favorite all-time novel. And I can see why. I mean, it's just it's just amazing, and it kind of goes to the heart of the question. If you had to sum up the book, it's a question. What does it mean to be a human being? And, and it, Oh, it, that question. Yeah, that question. And, and you know, it, it, they also talk in the foreword about the Solzhenitsyn's last words to his fellow countrymen as he departed into exile. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, came to the, he came to the United States, and he, he yelled out, live not by lies. And it's just so powerful on so many different levels. There, there's a great series of chapters of Stalin in his office. Oh yeah, I have takes, read that section. Yeah, of it, which yeah, is just yeah, in, in, uh, incredible. And then there's a chapter about Eleanor Roosevelt coming to to visit uh, the prisoners, and uh, you know she asks them to. Are there any complaints that you'd like to lodge the United Nations? And of course, you know they've all been. There's translators, so it doesn't matter what the prisoners say, right? The translators can say anything they want. And, of course, what the translator said back to 
to her was, well, they unanimously protest against the distressing situation of the blacks in America and ask the UN to look into the matter. I mean, now this is him writing this and that's, that's utter contempt. I mean, he, I think he had utter contempt for Eleanor Roosevelt because she was a dupe. She did go to a, you know, Potemkin village in prison in, in the Soviet Union when she toured there. And that's just hilarious. I mean, that chapter is really well done, but it's just a fantastic book. And again, shout out and thanks to Russ Roberts for recommending it. Yeah, I'm a little more than halfway through and really looking forward to maybe putting it on, on our, our list. Maybe and maybe we'll do a show about it, too, because it, it is excellent. I've just uh, just it, it's it's so it's really long, but the chapters are short, which makes it makes it doable so all right um ron want to want to get my number two in here which also a work of nonfiction, but not a business book and curiously i think could qualify as a humorous book as well and that is win bigly persuasion in the world where the facts don't matter by scott adams the author of dilbert and this this book it didn't how how shall I put this? It didn't change my mind about Donald Trump, but it did change the way that I think about what I, what's going on. Right, right. When you observe him do something, you kind of have a theory of what he's doing. It gave me a theory for what he's doing, and and it and it in a sense it 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 saved me. I think from Trump derangement syndrome. The <laughs> The, you know, the one side, there's two sides of Trump derangement syndrome, right? It's, it's, it affects, it affects people on both, in both parties. Oh, sure. But it, but it affects them in very different ways. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that's, it, it saved me from that. It was the inoculation against that because what you recognize, and this is the phrase that, that, uh, Scott Adams uses is that Trump has weapons grade persuasive ability. Yes. Yeah. And people are like, well, no, he's just an idiot. All right. Well, you thinking that is is now part of the problem because he kicked the crap out of Clinton in from an electoral college standpoint. Well, we should have a democracy. All right. We don't. <laughs> right. And that was not the right. rules that, and that they wasn't the rules. Under, right? right. So stop. You know, that, yeah. so, so, you know, you, but it, and that's where the, the, the Trump derangement syndrome, I think, clicks in. But when you recognize, you know, and it, it, Adam says it much better than me. But, you know, during the first debate, Trump said, uh, and by the way, Adams projected that Trump would be the president of the United States the day that he announced for the Republican nomination, which is just incredible. Yeah. Right. Few other people did too, but yeah, 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 yeah. But he was one of them, and, and he just he tells the story of the progression of the wall, which is a big item today, right? Um, and that is, you know, when when Trump said they're gonna, I'm gonna build a wall, and then the next two week cycle was how this is impossible. You can't build a wall. There's not, not you. There's no way to build a wall. It's physically impossible. Blah 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 blah. Any other politician would have the next debate would have backed down a little and would have said something like, "Well, it's going to be you know places where there'll be empty space, but it'll be drones. It'll be some kind of electronic whatever." Right? He doubles down and it's like it's a twenty foot five, five foot high wall. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you know two week spin cycle again. This is completely crazy. Not going to do it. Third time, he does he back down? No. And Mexico's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Then the spin cycle for the next two weeks is Mexico's not going to pay for this. And we have Vicente Fox saying, you know, go 
F yourself or whatever he did, blah, 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 blah. But they talked about it. But here's the thing, and this is the brilliance and what 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 Adam has pointed out to me is now when you're debating over whether Mexico is going is or is not going to quote pay for it, what have you assumed there's going you've, to be? Yeah, you've accepted the premise. A wall. Yeah. <laughs> Accepted the premise. Yeah. And and then he came out. Did you hear what he said the other day? He said, I never said that Mexico would pay for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he turns around and says, Well, in fact, they, he said, What well, what I meant by that is they're not going to write us a check. Uh-huh. They paid for it through the trade negotiation that we did, you know, the new NAFTA right. agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I and and what's interesting about Scott Adams is you know, he's not a Trump supporter and he's not a Republican. He's not a conservative. He's kind of a lifelong Democrat, liberal, um, but he's he's also a trained hypnotist. So he understands persuasion. And I think he provides a pretty good theory about about Trump. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, it's a great theory. And 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 it's you know, he also then takes you through and some stuff that I had had understood, you know, cognitive dissonance and all of those things, but how how Trump uses it to his advantage. And one one of the really interesting ones was the 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 quip that Trump had about uh, McCain. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember this, right? But there was a there was at one point where he, he Trump was asked about John McCain. And he said, well, I prefer my heroes not to have been captured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> Which, okay. And then what he goes on, what, what Adams goes on to explain to people is, and, and I had never under, realized this before. He goes, that's, that's New York humor. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, it, it, it absolutely is. There's a special type of humor that, that New Yorkers and a people within a, you know, a very close radius of Manhattan – have and that's this it it was not meant to be a a serious statement about i i prefer that you know he 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 was so stupid that he got captured Mm -hmm. right it's it's meant as a humorous like yeah it would totally suck if you were captured like (laughs) but people did not interpret it that way because there's a I don't know. There's, uh, adams does a great job of explaining and i probably should have had it ready for the show here that that New York humor just somehow is a little bit different from everywhere else on the in the in the in the United States. Sure, I, th- I think it's the same thing when he asked for Russia's help finding uh, Hillary's emails. I think it was the same type of. He's got a sense of humor. It doesn't always come out right, like a stand-up comedian. It's not a polished act, but it's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff he says is funny, and I think the take on Trump is, is, is I forget her name, Christina Zito said that, you know, the Trump supporters take him seriously, not literally, and the Trump haters take him literally, not seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I read that book, too, and I really enjoyed it, so that was great. So, Ed, number one, and come to find out, we have the same book. <laughs> <laughs> number one so wow imagine that yeah uh, shock there's a bit shock, of a shock yeah. surprise <laughs> surprise surprise as gomer Pyle would say uh well folks it's life after google of course by george gilder and and the this continues to just cloud everything i read see hear about ai but i just read a book at on unintelligent ai and it's by a woman and she's a computer scientist and she works in the ai field she's a data journalist as well and she never mentions 
Kurt Girdle or any of the other thinkers yeah. that, that, you know, and I just, I'm thinking it took Gilder to bring this to the world, to explain to them why th- this is just so overwrought, you know, and mm. it, it's just such a great book and folks, we'll put a link up to our show that we did with George Gilder, but uh, just a fantastic book. Yeah, which is why we're not going to parse it, because when we found out it was the same book, which was only five minutes before we started the show, we decided, hey, why why, why do that? Let's just tell everybody to listen to the other show. Read, read Life After Google. We've, we've talked about it enough. Right. Gilder can parse it better than we ever could anyway. So. Absolutely. So, Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, Ron, we are going to be talking about occupational licensure. Oh, wonderful. We, yeah. Should you should you hire a doctor without a license? Yeah, I can't wait. All right. I'll yep. see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 